TCU beat it's not first, it's not second, but third most important current rifle in the battle for the iron skillet on Saturday, 34 to 17. We're going to break that down here on this episode. Plus, men's basketball gets its first commit for the 2024 class and another big visitor is on campus, plus another sports getting its practice up and rolling here pretty soon. This and more on this episode of Frogs Insider. Cue the intro. Welcome in to the Frogs Insider Podcast. Jamie Plunkett here, as always, with Melissa Trebwasser. And Melissa, I'm realizing now that I always say, as always, and then half the time we record separately. Yeah, I mean, like, as always on this show. Yeah, so on the the main show. The I'm, main I'm- I'm going to be honest, though. I'm still real shook by the cue the intro, the the exaggerated exclamation mark, all bold cue the intro. I like it, and I feel like it should be a regular part of the show, but okay. it did throw me for a little bit of a loop. Well, if either of my children woke up when I just screamed that into the microphone, uh, yes. yeah. it'll be the first and last time that it happens. Yep. But, yep. you know. It'll be the first and last of a lot of things for you. Um, mm-hmm. I, I hope you have a comfortable couch. Uh, not really. The dogs sleep on it, but I'll tell oh, them to scoot over. So, Good. Yeah. It's good times. Good times in my house. Um, But yeah, so Melissa, TCU took down SMU 34 to 17 on Saturday afternoon. And it was uh, the official end, at least in Texas, of the false fall that we get every year Mm -hmm. because it was 102 degrees. It was miserably hot. I think it was up to like 115 down on the field. It was gross. Um, But, you know. It was a win. And but, I guess ultimately that's that's all that matters. And the hot weather better to fry something up. In, and we don't eat horse, but whatever you would fry in the iron skillet for beating SMU. Did you so, see what the did you see what the main account for TCU tweeted? Not the TCU Athletics or the TCU football, but just at TCU, the video that no. they tweeted out. It was, was like it, a tiny little yes, iron I cast did. iron skillet. Yeah. And then they put like a little horse shaped piece of butter in it. The most memeable of all of the memeables. Incredible. Just, uh, yes, I did see that. I thought it was delightful. Um, TC, like, obviously you don't necessarily want them to go with what they did last year because it was so unique to that situation with the super meme crazy videos. But I like mm-hmm. the scaled back version that they've employed. Yeah. Like, just, it's like hypnotoad light and I think it's appropriate. Um, but for SMU, do whatever you want. Like, mm-hmm. I... I cannot tell you the sense of relief I had. I, I did not get to watch this game in full. I was checking the score. I was coaching. Um, I had three varsity games and three JV games on Saturday. Goodness. So I was kind of, yeah, it was a lot. It was it was literally 7.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. You can still, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see where my face is still very pink. Um, it's the same color as my shirt, which is nice. But um, <laughs> just like, it wasn't even excitement when I saw the score for the first time. It was more of just relief, just to shut those guys up and that's what i felt like saturday was it was hot it was miserable it was ugly but we shut smu fans up for one more year and if tcu can take it home next year then you can't say they're running scared from smu and that's why the skill is pausing you can go back to being you guys just can't compete on the field with us and so it's really a waste of a schedule for us look i i think that you know and i said it in the intro for those of you that are on youtube and don't hear the intro I said that SMU is TCU's third most important rival currently behind Baylor and 
I'm going to say Texas Tech because yeah, I think that's fair. Of the rivalries that have like actual things that you pass back and forth, there isn't one for TCU Baylor, but it is obviously the longest standing rival for TCU. And you got the battle for the saddle with yeah, Texas Tech, which, which so I cool. like more than the battle for the iron skillet. And so I'm going to go on a tangent here. Actually, first, before my tangent, I'm going to go on a uh, do a little hashtag ad business podcast business and just say thank you to Hell's Half Acre Sporting Goods and Home Field Apparel for sponsoring the show. If you don't know much about them, you're going to hear about them later on in the podcast. And also, we are a part of the Dave Campbell's Texas Football uh, Republic of Football Network. So make sure you find that podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Hit the subscribe button, leave a rating and a review and help out all of the excellent shows on our network, including the state of Dallas run by Billy Embody, who you had the pleasure of talking to last week to preview SMU. And I listened to that as I always listen to your previews because you do a great job. Listen to a bunch of other preview stuff across uh, different podcasts as well. And everywhere across the network, like everywhere across everywhere was saying, wouldn't be surprised if SMU won this game. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't be surprised if SMU won fairly handily. And all of those shows and i think billy referenced it too on our show ref they all referenced week one against colorado yeah and and the secondary performance there is if they hadn't seen the game against houston which obviously not a great offense in houston but uh you know it looked like they were performance it it looked like they were working off of old information and, and preston stone came out and threw two interceptions one in the end zone uh, and the TCU secondary largely shut out SMU's passing game all day, yeah. and it was really nice to see. They, they made Preston Stone look like a young, you know, first mm-hmm. first official full year starter. Um, you know, and Bug Clark had another great game, made plays. Josh Newton had uh, had a pick right in that one too. I mean, there. I think that TCU fans kind of you know, hit the wall after the Colorado game. Um, we're super disappointed by the way that one went for good reason. Um, saw the way that TCU played, especially on the defensive side of the ball and thought this is going to be a long season. Um, but TCU has steadily gotten better each week. Even if you factor in the level of competition, you can see the improvement, right? Week by week. And we saw Colorado go out and, and stay hot for a couple of weeks. We saw what happened to them on Saturday in mm-hmm. Oregon. Woof. I would not want to be a Colorado fan. I would not want to be a football fan of the state of Colorado this week, um, whether it's the Denver Broncos or um, the Colorado Buffalo, like just a rough weekend for, for Colorado football. But, um, but TCU has done what they needed to do and look dominant when they needed to look dominant against lesser competition for the most part defensively. Um, we've seen them improve. They, they did a great job against SMU and, and that offense is very explosive. There's a ton of talent. They put up some big numbers. They did a great job holding down Oklahoma. Um, they weren't able to score against the Sooners much, but, but they did a good job defensively and TCU, you know, and, and again, I, I was kind of in and out with being able to watch the game, but what I saw seemed to pretty much get whatever they wanted on both sides of the ball. Um, Joe Gillespie had a great game plan. He's obviously, you know, very familiar with SMU, even though different coaching staff now, but, um, he, he was ready and I, I felt like the players really executed at a high level for almost the entirety of that 60 minutes. It was a complete football game and, what you want to see from a team replacing as much talent as TC replaced is week by week incremental improvement. And I think for the most part, that's what we're getting. One of the biggest improvements from week one to week four has been at the quarterback position for TCU. Mm-hmm. Chandler Morris had another very good, very accurate passing game. He completed 72% of his passes. He was 22, thir- 23 of 32 for 261 yards, three touchdowns, and most importantly, no 
turnovers, no picks, no fumbles. He was very good with the football. There was only one kind of sketchy moment where it turned out after the game, Sonny Dykes said that Jared Wiley ran the wrong route in the red zone. TCU ended up having to settle for a field goal um, or that probably would have been touchdown number four. Fun fact, Melissa, Chandler Morris was seven for eight throwing to tight ends on Saturday. Mm -hmm. And that was for 92 yards and all three of his passing touchdowns, two to Jared Wiley, one to Chase Curtis. And that touchdown at the end of the game to Chase Curtis on a fourth and two when the game's pretty much sealed up already, minute and a half left or something. And then he just drops a little little dime on a wheel route to Chase Curtis who takes it and houses it. Uh, Sonny, Sonny sent a message, I think, with, with yeah. that touchdown. But we talk about improvement. Chandler Morris is one of the one of the big, I think, examples of how this team has improved from week one to now. Um, and on the other side of that, you mentioned it already. Preston Stone looked completely lost for the majority of the game. He completed less than 50% of his passes. He threw two terrible interceptions. He looked like he had happy feet. And that was in spite of the fact that at times he had I think I said this to Jeremy in the press box. He's got an, he had enough time to to sit back yeah. in the pocket and make a campfire. Like he could have he could have started a campfire, cooked a whole hog, and had a meal, and still gotten a throw out to somebody. And for whatever reason, he was on his first read, and then he was off, and he was moving out of the pocket. He was trying to make things happen, and it just didn't really work out for him well. And that's largely due to the improved play at linebacker. I do want to note as well um, the fact that Johnny Hodges didn't play in this game. We learned after the fact that he's got a thumb injury. Sonny mm. Dykes said he's week to week at this point. So we're not sure when he's coming back in his, in his stead. I thought Shad Banks had an excellent football game. Well, that's what we've been waiting to see, right? Is I mean, we've talked about Johnny and Johnny is one of the smartest players on in the team. He understands his role. He's a great leader out there. Intangibles just for days. Right. But Shad Banks is a freak. Yeah. And, I mean, one of my favorite things when I when I preview TCU with with other teams or or people ask me about depth charts and stuff is be able to say, yeah, does your team have a six foot three two hundred fifty pound linebacker return kicks because mine does, <laughs> and, and the fact that that dude can be back there in the kick return game as a mm. linebacker is just because of his sheer athleticism and athletic ability. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's now is he raw? Is he as disciplined? Is he going to do the right thing every time? No, but you cannot teach just raw speed and athleticism and he has that for days and in the biggest probably the most opportunity he's had in a tcu uniform to make an impact he took advantage of that and he made an impact mm-hmm. in that game yeah i mean we saw it at the end of the houston game uh the that he was making plays he was keeping donovan smith from being able to scramble and move we saw it against texas last year when i believe it was jamoy hodge that was suspended mm-hmm. for the first half for a targeting call in the previous week making an impact from the get-go. And now you have another a bit of hard evidence that says, hey, when Shad's on the field, he makes a difference. And we want to talk about the improvement of the defense. I think the speed that he provides at linebacker yeah. does so much for this team because, when, I mean, what have we been talking about for the first three weeks, Melissa? But, hey, there's an opportunity for opposing teams to put the ball into the flats to spread out these linebackers and get them in space. And that's going to be problematic for TCU when you've got a, a couple of guys who are maybe a little bit slower than what Shad Banks is. But when you've got Shad out there and Namdi Obiezor, who at that star linebacker spot is really coming into form, he led the team in tackles again this week. He's leads the team in tackles on the season. And you've got speed guys like that at the linebacker spot, a lot more 
you, you can do a lot more from a defensive standpoint. And so we're starting to see Gillespie get into that now. He, he blitzed a lot more in this mm-hmm. game. They got a couple of really nice sacks on Preston Stone. They moved him around in the pocket. There were a lot, there were large swaths of time where he still had a lot of time to throw, but we're seeing the steady improvement over, over uh, the course of the season so far. And now you have an opportunity with uh, West Virginia coming to town, a, su- a surprisingly decent West Virginia yeah. team yeah. to take another step in the right direction on both sides of the football. Yeah. Uh, you know, talk about Shad Bank, 71 snaps. That's, that's a, a I believe a career high for him. It's certainly a season high by a large margin is his biggest up to that point was the Nichols game where he had 31 um, just did an excellent job in all aspects. Uh, you know, was one of TC's highest graded players um, in both rush defense and, and his, his tackle grade was really, really off the charts at, at over 80 um, and did a nice job in coverage. He got targeted a couple of times, um, you know, gave up just one reception, but was where he needed to be. Uh, and when, when TC's defensive line is still not consistently generating, a pass rush, um, you know, against a, a better passing quarterback, the ability, like you said, for Joe Gillespie to make those adjustments and send those blitzes and have that athleticism on the field uh, makes all the difference in the world. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, is, is this uh, TCU is, has been a pretty loyal to their veteran players and these types of situations with injuries. But if Shad continues to play at this level, um, you may have to see more situational substitutions as opposed to wholesale. Um, and I, I think most TCU fans, based on what we've seen, um, Johnny really, really excels um, in run defense. It Situationally, as a pass rusher, he's exceptional in those, you know, third and short situations, those fourth and short situations where you you kind of can predict what the offense is looking to do. Um, that's a guy you want on the field. But giving Shad more run, um, as he certainly earned it, I think is going to be the key to TCU's success going forward and finding out how to best utilize the depth that they have at linebacker this year in order to attack certain offenses situationally is, is going to be the next big test for Joe Gillespie. And what a great problem to have after you played with basically four guys a year ago. Go. Right. Yeah. You've got a lot of depth. Zach Marcia got some run in this game as well. Uh, and so you, you saw Marcel Brooks out there for, for a couple snaps late in the game. So, you, I mean, you're running six guys out there on a day where you didn't have one of your starting linebackers. So you're right. Yeah. The depth there is in much better shape than it was a season ago. Uh, another guy I want to call out on the defense is true freshman safety, Jamel Johnson, who mm. saw a lot of run um, in this game, uh, almost as much run as uh Miller Bradford, which I thought was really interesting to see. Um, we saw a lot more of a rotation at safety in this game with with Bradford, with Bud, with Mark Perry. You saw a lot of Abe Kamara. You saw a lot of Jamel Johnson. You saw some Josh Foster as well out there. A lot of guys getting some reps. Is I think what they're trying to do is send a message to some of these guys. Like, hey, the yeah. best guys, the most consistent guys are going to be the ones that play. And Jamel looked fantastic. There were a couple moments in in uh, goal to go situations where he got out to the edge as Preston Stone was looking to leak out and maybe run and just shut it down completely, push him out of bounds. Got got in there and made the tackle. Um, and and I love to see that kind of confidence in those short down situations where you have a safety who maybe doesn't have all of the knowledge of all of the coverages quite yet, but you can mm-hmm. kind of put him in in some certain situations and say, go hit the guy with the football. Uh, and so that was really cool to see from Jamel on Saturday as well. And, you know, lastly, um, the defensive line did show up a, a couple times, especially in, in the last drive where uh, it felt like, TCU kind of got screwed out of the safety, maybe a little bit. Uh, Dom Williams with some pressure that he was freed up, by the way, by Paul Oyewale, who came on a stunt 
and absolutely laid out the right guard for SMU, hit him so hard that he grabbed his face mask on the way down oh and just kind of like fell and then rolled and then had to adjust his helmet as he's sitting back up again. And while he's doing that and center is tripping over him, Dom Williams is just free flying straight at Preston Stone, grabs him and throws him down in the end zone. But they said that the, his forward progress was stopped just outside of the end zone. So no safety there, just a sack for Dom Williams. But overall, I think, a very good defensive performance at a variety of positions from some guys who maybe haven't fully announced themselves yet. Yeah. And that's on top of plays from your playmakers. Like you already mentioned picks from Josh Newton and Bud Clark, some big open space tackles from Mark Perry, who looked much more in form than he did in weeks one and two, um, making some of those open field tackles, getting really involved in the run game. Like he did so well last year. Um, you're right. This defense is absolutely taking a huge step in the right direction and it's coming at the perfect time as they get into conference play now. And, and that was kind of the issue last year, right? Is it, it took them six, seven, eight games before we started seeing them kind of make these plays. They, they, they did some things well. They obviously made plays at the right time a season ago, but what you're starting to see is, is in year two under Joe Gillespie system and with the talent that they've added through the transfer portal and these, some of these true freshmen that are, that are getting on the field, there's a little bit more symbiosis almost. It feels like there's a lot more chemistry and they seem to be understanding not just their individual role, but how to do their job within the scheme of all 11 guys on the field. Um, And like you said, at the absolute perfect time, um, West Virginia doesn't, is not another, is another team that doesn't exactly blow you away with what they can do offensively. They're very good defensively, but Mm -hmm. you have to think if TCU plays like they did on Saturday against SMU against West Virginia at home, TC's going to have a great shot to, to start uh, or to get their second Big 12 win. Um, before we kind of move on from that, I do I do want to make note of something. The most important stat of the weekend is uh, Chandler Morris's performance in the passing game has put him in line. Um, right now, he would be the have the highest uh, completion percentage in history, as Mark Cohen pointed out on Twitter. And the reason <laughs> this is so important is because right now he's completing 69% of his passes and being ultimately a 12-year-old boy, um, when it comes to my sense of humor, I just felt like it was really important to mention that incredibly nice stat before we uh, we closed off our conversation with Chandler Morris. It's it's a nice number. Shout it out to Chandler. Nice Shout out to Chandler. Yeah. Chandler Morris, who, by the way, leads the Big 12 in total offense right now. Yeah. So, okay. Before, <laughs> other than making my rudimentary child joke, um, which I, I have to do because I am ultimately <laughs> a 12-year-old boy. Uh, listen. I was as skeptical as anybody in the TCU camp about Chandler Morse's, you know, ability to be an elite top tier Big 12 quarterback. Um, and, and I think it was fair to go into the season with some concerns and some skepticism, mostly mm-hmm. just because, you know, availability is the most important um, uh, ability that you have, right? Durability, availability to be able to be out in the field. We haven't seen that. What we're seeing now four games into this season is a quarterback that for the first time in his career is consistently on the field, getting adjusting to the game. And his growth from week one to week four has been tremendous. Um, his numbers haven't necessarily increased. You know, he he didn't have to win the game through the air. He, he only 265 yards, I think is the second lowest uh, total of the season. But like you said, three touchdowns could have been four no interceptions, no fumbles. Um, he is what we're seeing now from week one. Uh, the biggest difference is he's getting to his second, third, and fourth reads. Uh, he's utilizing his tight ends. He's still spreading the ball around. Uh, nine nine or ten different guys caught balls on Saturday once again, um, which, you know, you'd like to see maybe an alpha kind of rise up. But I love the fact that on any given day, um, a different guy can beat you in this offense. Um, and then it helps, too, that Amani Bailey – 
has got to the argument for him not being the top running back in the Big 12 is getting weaker and weaker by the week. Um, What he's another hundred plus day on the ground. Um, He's just so explosive and so dangerous in the open field. But he's also showing the ability to break tackles and to run guys over um, and giving you just enough of kind of that that Kendra Miller extra special stuff in this, this offense. It's really unlocking what Chandler Morris is able to do, not just through the air, but with his legs as well. So th- it's starting to hum. We're starting mm-hmm. to get in a groove and we're, we're starting to see, you know, kind of the Kendall Bryles system develop and grow um, as the weeks go on. Um, and and Chandler's been really really good uh, and I think it's it's you know I think some of us have some crow to eat and I'm one of those people um we're getting into the meat of the schedule now things are going to mm-hmm. get tougher West Virginia is the best defense that this team has seen unquestionably um so far this season but if he continues to do what he's doing um you know TCU's just just right in the thick to be one of the top teams in the Big 12 and I think that's all we can ask for after you know what we saw last year yeah, and I, I I want to touch on Amani Bailey before I, I I feed off of that last point about Chandler because I think you're spot on there. Uh, I wrote a little bit about Amani over the weekend for hornfrogblitz.com for subscribers only, which means that, folks, if you're listening to this, you should know that Melissa can read it because she's a subscriber. I'm a subscriber, 100%. Uh, but I if you're not on the boards. Someday yeah. I'll post. The nah, day is not yeah. that day. Yeah. It's not that important. It's, it's not that serious. <laughs> I, I don't read the game threads, whatever you do. Um, oh my God, never. But uh, I, I wrote about Amani Bailey because he is really, truly rounding into feature back form for this team. And it's more than just his rushing, which has been really impressive so far because he's running the ball at a six yard per carry clip, which is very impressive. We got a little spoiled with Kendra Miller, who was running yeah. like eight and a half yards of carry last year. Uh, but six is, is fantastic. He's leading the Big 12 in rushing yards right now, um, and, and I think he's like seventh nationally in rushing yards through four games. Uh, he, but but the, and he's got two consecutive games where he's had 20 plus carries. Which, if you think about TCU and running backs, that's not something that happens frequently. For example, uh, I believe it was Kendra Miller had uh, three 20 yard or 20 plus carry games in his career. Um, uh, oh gosh, I don't have my notes in front of me now. There was another. Oh, Kendra had four, and Aaron Green had six. Uh, so those are two very uh, impressive running backs who had that few number of games where they had twenty plus carries. Uh, there was one other running back um, who. Oh, Kyle Hicks had mm. three twenty three games of twenty plus carries. Wow. Darius Anderson had two, which Monty Bailey has done in the last two games. Amari Mercado, who was here for forever, had zero. Zach Evans had zero in his two years on campus. Um, and there were a bunch of running backs, BJ Catalan and a couple other guys who only ever had one. And a lot of that is just a byproduct of the offense where a lot of times TCU was kind of running back by committee. But that was also the plan for this year, right? You have Trey Sanders on your team. You have Trent Battle on your team, who I also want to talk about in a second. You have Corey, a healthy Corey Wren. You've got a freshman four-star in Cam Cook who's barely been able to see the field at all. All because Amani Bailey is doing what he's doing in the backfield. But beyond just the running, he's blocking incredibly well. And I said this on the midweek podcast the last couple of times when I've been doing mailbags with folks is they're like, oh, who are we going to see? Like, who's going to step up as running back two? Who's going to step? So whoever blocks, 
whoever does what Amari Di Mercado was willing to do for three years, which is I'll be your third down back and everyone's going to complain about it, but I'm going to be out there because I'm the best blocking running back that you've got. And that earned him the chance to do what he did last year and be the real number two running back to Kendra Miller, and then be the feature back for basically the majority of the festival in the national championship. And so you've got Imani Bailey, who's not only running the ball really well, but now he's starting to block really well. He's catching passes out of the backfield really well. And if you've got a guy like that who can do all of those things, you don't need anybody else to carry a major workload. Now you can still use guys in short down situations and in other, in other spots, but Monty Bailey is, is setting a tone for this backfield that we haven't seen from a TCU back in a long time. Do you get concerned? Like you said, he's, he's leading the big 12 in, in rushing. Um, he's averaging 120 yards over 120 yards a game. The next guy is DJ Giddens, Kansas state at just over just under 106 his 81 attempts leads the league um, by 15 over Giddens. Mm-hmm. Um, TCU's second leading rusher is currently Chandler Morris. Um, and he has 29 attempts, um, which which puts him, you know, in the in the top 20, right at number 20 for rushing attempts in the conference. Um, do we get concerned at all? with just the amount? I mean, right now, Amani's 81 carries are seventh in the country for as as far as most carries um that's not what running the football in, col- in the college game is anymore right it's not usually a, a bell cow kind of situation now Amani is built really well um you know he, he's very solid you know he's he's been knock on wood um you know he's, it seems like he's kind of avoided the major bumps and bruises although he's he's kind of played through a couple of things um, do we, do you want to see, and you, you mentioned Trent battle, but Trent battle, Trey Sanders, do you want to see these guys get more run when appropriate, or do you think we kind of trust Imani and trust this coaching staff to make the right decisions to protect his body while still utilizing what has been one of the best weapons in the country at that position? Uh, well, I think you're going to have to keep using Imani as much as you're using him, as long as he's the only running back that's blocking, mm-hmm. because there were a couple moments on Saturday where it was a different running back in the game and there was either a blitz or a line call that freed up a defensive end or something where a guy didn't get blocked like he was supposed to by the running back and Chandler Morris was running for his life. And there was one play and I highlighted this in my article on Sunday where it was Trey Sanders. There was a very clear line scheme where they were blocking down to the left and the right edge, or I guess technically the left edge for SMU was free. And that's Trey Sanders' responsibility to block that dude. And all he needs to do is get in front of him for two and a half, like two milliseconds to give Chandler time to get the ball out. He misses completely, gets sacked. Chandler gets sacked. Helmet comes off mm-hmm. and he has to out. come out for a play. And so then you've got Josh Hoover coming into the game. Um, TCU elected not to call a timeout. Hoover handed the ball off. Everything was fine. But you're risking injury to Chandler Morris, who all offseason we talked about durability, if you don't have a running back in there who's capable of blocking. And so while I would love to see a guy like Trent Battle, who should have had a touchdown catch on Saturday, but for an off-target pass from Chandler, who had him wide open on another tangent, one of the best play designs I've seen from Kendall Bryles Mm -hmm. this season. Um, I want to see a guy back there that's not Imani Bailey really block well, and that's going to tell you who the running back number two will be on this team as a guy who can go in and protect the quarterback because that's as much, if not more important, 
that, that than, than what you can do with the football in your hands, as far as I'm concerned. No, I, I think you're completely right. And that, that is going to be the difference maker. Also kind of crazy though. We talk about all the amazing stats that, uh, that he's put up that Imani Bailey only has two rushing touchdowns so far. Yeah. This season. There's a vulture. Kinda, yeah. There's a vulture there named is, Trey Sanders. Who's there got, is I think, a vulture now. Yeah. The, uh, the, the red zone vulture, red zone vulture, short yard is vulture, mm. Trey, Trey Sanders, but <clears throat> it's, I, I have a feeling that too is going to go up significantly here in the next couple of weeks. Um, but like I said, hopefully the, the blocking situation gets, gets squared away because you don't want to have that much tread off the tires this early in the year. If you can avoid it, you want to say uh, Imani for, for some of those big games that'll be coming down the line for sure. And I do want to say one thing, and this is directly to Trey Sanders, Trey, please, for the love of God, stop trying to hurdle people. Yeah. stop it he got lit up so hard on saturday and he was he i to in to trace credit he cleared the guy he was trying to leap over and then he immediately got smacked and put on his back from yeah. about three feet we don't in want the to air. we we love that you like taking the hits again and you're seeking out that contact buddy but, but we just want to keep you on the field 10 toes down 10 toes yeah. on the ground and and just start start there please not zero toes on the ground at least five at Fair. all times okay Fair. um because otherwise we're gonna have to see what Trent Battle and Corey Wren yeah. can do a little bit more because Trey Sanders will, will be on the sideline. Uh, speaking of sidelines, too, Jack Bash and Street closed in this game, so he didn't play at all. Uh, Dalen Wright dressed out, but I don't think saw any snaps in this game. Uh, so, you know, you were talking earlier, Melissa, about the number of guys that caught passes, and that's without two guys who, at least yeah. in the first few weeks, had made a pretty big impact on this offense. So just yeah, another like, testament like to Noel that. gets gets mm-hmm. involved got three catches major everhart has four catches um you, you like you mentioned chase curtis had the big touchdown and a couple of catches it's really cool to see guys like blake and chase who have been in the program for a long time and have really paid their dues um, without getting much opportunity uh mm-hmm. really start to carve out a role in this version of the offense and and seem to be guys that are getting a lot more snaps guys that that Bryles, the offensive staff really trust um and it, it's fun to see those because they're they're both kind of freaks yeah like they're just big really athletic kind of kind of lengthy gangly dudes that can mm-hmm. really run um and, and so it's it's awesome to see them carving out a role and finding a spot and and being effective in this offense after you know m- multiple years on campus for both of them yeah, and Sonny called called out Blake Nell specifically in post games too as as a guy who he said has tremendous patience. He's been patient. He's put the team first, and now he's getting rewarded for that patience. Yeah. Um, and I'm so really that- happy for the guy that comes to Big Twelve Media Days every year, specifically to ask about Blake too. Yeah, the Oklahoma um, kid. Yeah, yeah. Yep, <laughs> like for what three three four years now, I've we've seen this kid at, at Media Days um, ask about Blake and Sonny's. Sonny and Gary before him. Uh, we like the kid. Gary, I don't think had any idea who he was. Uh, but <laughs> Sonny, so I think we like the kid. Like, it's 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 got to be cool. Uh, you know, small town Oklahoma kids kind of get get an opportunity to be a great player. And like you said, because he's a team player, he's a team first guy, mm-hmm. and that patience. You always love to see the patience rewarded and pay off. And and then for a kid that put in the work to come out, get his opportunity, and make the most of it, that's pretty cool. It is cool. And then uh, in the same vein, when Jared Wiley was talking to us post game, he gave a shout out to Chase uh, Curtis and just said, you know, that guy's been through a ton and to see him get out there and, and have a couple big catches and, and score a touchdown. It, I mean, you could see like Jared, Jared was getting really like hyped up about it and excited about it, even talking about it after the game. Um, so that's my guy. And, and he's, you've watched the video. He's the first guy to get down there and celebrate with him. And awesome. it was really cool to see a guy who, in a in a 
quote unquote contract year for Jared. He's trying to yeah. up, up his draft stock as much as possible, celebrating the accomplishments of another guy that plays his position on his own team. Um, hey, tells you a lot about do. some of the. Yeah, pretty easy to do though when you've got five catches and two touchdowns on the day too. You know, it's uh, could have been could have been six and three if he six. runs the right could've right route in the three, red yeah. zone, and that's a perfect transition to what I want to talk to next. Because in spite of the good day on offense, there's still a lot that needs to be cleaned up, and red zone offense is one of them. Yes. You can look at the stat sheet and you can say, "Oh, they went four or five in the red zone. That's pretty good." Well, if you're talking about touchdowns, they went two or five in the red zone. Yeah, and they settled for field goals two more times. And they didn't score any points at all on a possession that started at the SMU 10 set up by that Josh Newton interception because they could not, uh, they, they ran a jet sweep where according to Sonny after the game, um, Chandler made the wrong read. He was supposed to hand it off, not hand it to the sweep. And so that sets them back the second play. Um, you have uh, Jared, and who's supposed to run a slant from the left slot and cut right in front of this linebacker, but instead he runs a post and goes behind the linebacker. Chandler very clearly thinks he's running a slant and throws it directly at the linebacker, who thankfully drops it. You have a third down play that's short of the goal line, so you're at the six. You opt to try a fake field goal, at which point Jordy Sandy slips and falls with the football dead ball right there. SMU takes over turnover on downs. So there's a little bit of an execution issue still happening in the red zone. Um, I believe the play that I mentioned earlier about uh, Trent battle also happened in the red zone where he comes out of the backfield and goes up the seam. And it was just a beautiful, the play design was beautiful. I'll have to clip it and put it on Twitter tomorrow. Um, And Chandler just throws it too far, leads him a little too far and he can't quite make make the catch, um, or you're talking about another touchdown there. That's at least two touchdowns off the board. Chandler could have had an absolutely massive five-touchdown passing day if he's accurate on one pass and the, the receiver runs the right route on the other. That's not out of the realm of possibility for Chandler to have had that kind of day and for TCU to have hung a 50-burger on SMU. So there's a lot that still needs to get cleaned up. And I think that when they do get it cleaned up and have a really good offensive day, this this team's going to look incredibly, incredibly tough to beat. Hey, uh, you know, Kendall, if you're listening to this, you helped me out preseason with my team. I got a red zone play for you that we've scored on every time we've run it. So if you need some help, um, I will happily repay the favor for the plays you gave me with with my little red zone play that I drew up. Um, <laughs> It's it's let me just say it's been killer. Um, I, I stole the route from uh, was it was it the Minnesota receiver? I don't remember who it was, but I, I stole one of the routes and then uh, did, did a little play design of my own. And it's been pretty effective. So you know, Minnesota's got, got you. some pretty good receivers to steal That's routes what, from. Yeah, if they if they don't have much else. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like like you said, TC, like the red zone has been an issue again. It feels like we're we're picking nits here, but we can do that because we haven't played an exceptional defense to this point and those turning touchdowns into three points is going to cost you against good teams. And and TCU Mm -hmm. is going to have a bunch of those coming down the pipeline. This is still a a program that's hovering around 100s, the hundreds here in in the red zone scoring rankings. Um, They're not converting touchdowns, like you mentioned on a a consistent enough basis. And so um, I think it's, it's right to be concerned. Um, The level of competition plays into um, the overall success of the team, but when you start playing better programs here as, as the calendar turns into um, October and real fall comes to Texas, hopefully for you at some point, um, 
I, I think you're not going to get away with that against Kansas State. You're not going to get away with that against Texas, Oklahoma, um, some of these other teams. And so I'm sure it's something they're continuing to work on. And it's, I think that's a big part of that too, is kind of the mixing and matching, the figuring out who your alpha is, the wide receiver position, who's that guy you're going to look to. Chandler seems to be getting really comfortable with Jared. But as you said, that one play could have could have gone really, really wrong. Um, everybody's got work to do. And that's, you know, it's it's the most important area on the field for an offense. And it's the hardest area to score on for an offense. And so, uh, it, it, like you said, if they get that cleaned up, I, I think the sky's the limit for what this, this group of position players, skill position players can do on that side of the ball. Yeah, and I will note too, that it feels like at this point, we're only a third of the way through the season, but it feels like, J.P. Richardson and Jalen Robinson are becoming those two guys mm-hmm. at wide receiver. Um, <clears throat> Warren Thompson, you've seen spots where he's been excellent. Savion Williams, you've seen a couple moments where he's been excellent. But, I mean, he had two procedural penalties on Saturday that kind of set the offense back. Um, you haven't seen Dalen Wright the last two games because he's been a little bit nicked up. Uh, you haven't seen Jack Besh in a minute because he's been a little nicked up. So, you know, at this point, you know, like I said a couple of weeks ago, things are going to start to sort themselves out. I think we're starting to see that a little bit. Now, maybe the distribution doesn't change a ton because you want a lot of guys to get the ball in their hands, but you're going to start to see Chandler trusting a certain yeah. set of receivers here pretty quickly down as, as they get down the road. And they're going to need to, um, you know, just to kind of put some some numbers to cap <laughs> off this conversation. Um, CC is scoring on just over 73% of the red zone opportunities, but only 52% of those are touchdowns. And, yeah. and that's, that's, you know, like I said, it's, it's, I mean, they're, they're below Cal. Right Not now. great. You got to get those and numbers up. Barely above Cincinnati and barely above Baylor. Yeah, and that's so, not the company you want to be keeping as you get into the beat of your schedule. No, you got to get those red zone numbers up. You got to be scoring touchdowns more. And I think, I do think they're really close. But yeah. some of it, some of it's play calling, some of it's questionable yeah. play calling. Although we didn't see a ton of that on Saturday, which was nice. There was a lot more throwing the ball downfield, not as much putting it out in the flats. Yeah. That being said, there was one fourth down and two fourth down and one situation where Richardson motions from the right side. It's a handoff, and then it turns into JP Richardson running the option. It worked. I don't know if I ever want to see it again. Yeah. It happened. We're yeah. not in love with it. No, I, I had a lot fewer questions about the play calling though on on Saturday than I have in, in previous games. So I think we're getting we're starting to trend in the right direction in that regard too. Yeah, and it does it does feel a little uh, disingenuous to, to again be kind of you know nitpicking the heck out of these play calling and mm-hmm. again for good reason. It's but when you see what's happening to Clemson, I don't know. It's just it feels yeah. TC's yeah, it, putting points on the board. We want to but we want to see this team be good to great not uh not content to beat up on you know little lesser known programs like smu consistently yeah. throughout the season we'll be able to compete with the big boys and uh, mm-hmm. it's gonna get harder it's gonna get harder i mean coming out of this this you know your preseason uh schedule and one big 12 game at three and one um i, I think most I, I think a lot of people expected to be four no at this point i think most people could be kind of content with three and one um, you mentioned at the beginning that most people thought that there, there would be a lot of surprise if, if SMU won that game. Um, I wouldn't have been surprised if SMU won that game. So to see TCU come out um, and really put their foot on the gas, um, step on their necks and send a message, like you said, especially with that late score, um, 
of where their pecking order is in, in the Metroplex and, and what kind of program TC wants to be going forward. I, I think that's a great confidence booster win. If you can turn that win into, um, you know, another home win against West Virginia, um, like you said, a surprising West Virginia who is tied with TCU atop the Big 12 standings currently. <laughs> um, we won't mention because it's those are the only two teams that have, <laughs> have won or, and played Big 12 games. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, you want to have as much momentum. You want to have this team feeling as complete as possible before you get to that stretch where you're going to have Kansas State and, you know, Texas Tech we can talk about later, but um, it's still uh, Thursday night in Lubbock. I don't care what Texas Tech's record is. That game is always going to be terrifying to me, mm -hmm. right? Like that's always without fail. Something weird's going to happen. Um, but but again, like everybody else has kind of shown some some soft spots, you know, Kansas State pulled away late from UCF, but kind of played with their food a little bit of, uh, you know, that Texas looks really, really good. Oklahoma struggled with the same SMU, you know, team to a degree. So other than Texas, which, which again, has earned the right to be the favorite and, and is playing like the favorite, it, it seems there's a lot up for grabs here. Um, and, and we're going to learn a lot through the month of October. And then TC is going to have a November that's going to really test the mm -hmm. metal and determine you know, what their postseason is going to look like for sure. Uh, just get through these next, get through, get through West Virginia, get through Iowa state, get through BYU, get to that Kansas state game yep. six and one. And then let's see, let, let's hit the yeah. gas pedal and let's see what goes, where this goes if, from there. If you're six and one going into Kansas state, um, I don't think you can ask for much more. I, I, even five and two, you're still in a really good spot. But like you said, those are really winnable games. Those mm -hmm. are the games. If you want to be a big 12 contender, you have to finish the job. Yeah, just take care of business. Just you are going to be the better team on paper. Yeah, all three of those weeks, you are going to be the favorite in the in those games. All three of those weeks, do what you're supposed to do, and yeah. win those football games. And by the way, at that point, TCU will be pretty much exactly where you and I said they would be by the Kansas State game, which is seven and zero or six and one. Yeah, we said at worst they'd be six and one going into Kansas State. And that's exactly what they will be if they take care of business the next 30 yeah. weeks. And, you know, we can make the argument that, hey, they should be 7-0 or 4-0 right now. I think they should be 4-0 right sure. now. Um, but they didn't They didn't take care of business week one. And that's on the players. That's on the coaches. That's on everybody involved, right, for not making adjustments at halftime, for however big of a challenge it was to piecemeal film together. All of the things that you want to say, they weren't ready. They didn't win that football game. Since then, they've looked ready. Every single week, they've looked more ready and more energetic every single week. Yeah. Um, and, and if uh, if that keeps going in the right direction, then I think that this team still has an opportunity to do a bunch of the stuff we thought they would do when we were talking about them in preseason. Yeah, uh, bounce back from the bounce back from the loss, mm -hmm. and and just play your game. And and they have been able to relatively consistently do that since that disappointing opening opening game. And yep. as long as they're playing better every week. I think that the TC fans will will be satisfied and happy with that. And and hey, yep. you know, again, watching what's going around the rest of the conference, that's not something you take for mm -hmm. granted. Um, no, you know, it's not. We, we've seen Texas Tech has really struggled. Um, you know, BYU gave Kansas all they could handle before the Jayhawks finally pulled away. Uh, I, I mean, there there have been some some surprising results here across the board. Uh, Tech going up to West Virginia, and again, give a ton of credit to West Virginia. That's a team that we'd all written off. Um, and and it has looked really bad in moments, but uh, that's a that's a big win against the Red Raiders in Morgantown. Um, mm -hmm. it, it was not a pretty win, 
but for they they're finding ways to get the job done and they are not going to roll over and die for the horn frog saturday night no they won't and uh thoughts thoughts go out to tyler shuck who fractured his fibula in that game and and is going to be out six to eight weeks for the for the red raiders they're going back to baron morton at quarterback and uh, that sucks to see a guy get hurt like that yeah. uh, tech Again. looked tech looked pitiful on offense they looked yeah. so bad um i think they had i was listening to gambling gauchos uh earlier today and i think it was rob mentioned they had four drives the entire game that lasted longer than two minutes that's insane and only two of those drives lasted three minutes or longer and listen like they played all three of these guys a year ago. Um, and so I think that with a week to prepare and knowing Baron Morton is going to be your guy, they'll, they'll be, they'll look better on offense this week. Um, maybe, I remember. maybe. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think Baron Morton still has a long way to go to develop as a quarterback. They get Houston at home. Mm-hmm. So that, that is the cure for your ills is get to play the Cougars. Hey, um, that is- Donovan Smith revenge game though. Yeah, that's true. That I is true. Know. Um, It'll be really interesting. Like I said, like poor Tyler Shock. I mean, it's just every year, like the poor guy just can't stay on the field. And and it's just all, it's always been these weird freaky injuries too. It's, it's too mm-hmm. bad for him. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they can kind of regroup. There's still a ton of talent on that offense. There is so much talent on that offense and that defense, like West Virginia's offense, not super elite, but they still held them to 20 points. That defense is good. So mm-hmm. um, we'll, we'll see what the red Raiders do here over the next couple of weeks um, without their quarterback, but uh yeah they're they're this it's it's kind of like you want to like I, I wish tc was getting them now and not you know not six weeks down the line but um yeah it's it's like I, that was a team that had so much hype going into it and now they've suffered kind of two really devastating three really devastating losses at this point in the season and um it's it's hard you know it's it's my favorite gary pattersonism of all time is probably the you know it's it's really really easy to prove them wrong it's mm-hmm. really hard to prove them right. And Tech got the pressure of a prove them right se- season. And it's been hard to live up to for, for the Red Raiders so far this year. Yeah, I can't remember what we took on the over-under of their wins, but I'm pretty sure it was set at like seven and a half. And I don't yeah. know how they get there now sitting at one yeah. and three already. I'm pretty um, sure I took the over on that. <clears throat> I, yeah, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a, a real challenge for them, a real challenge indeed also melissa in the battle of the their seats are are heating up situation iowa state takes down oklahoma state i don't have the score in front of me but i think it was something like 34 34 34 34 27 27. how did those two teams put up that many points because those defenses are pitifully bad they're so bad i watched a good chunk of this game when i should have been watching something else that was meaningful or playing with my children or something and uh like just watching these defenses try to play football is is so bad and i just don't understand how teams run by coaches like mike gundy and matt campbell can be so fundamentally bad at the little things right like we're talking about penalties we're talking about guys out of position we're talking about bad timing on offense missed tackles on defense just horrible football not fun football to watch really in the slightest and i i was like i was punishing myself for something by watching this football game i'm still very confident in the win total under for both of these which i have and uh i just this is a this was a battle between two teams who will not be playing for anything meaningful later in the season. I'll tell I'll tell you though, man. Iowa State might have found something in Rocco Bet. It is weird to me I, that I Anthony mean, Bet's kid 
is is they, playing quarterback at <laughs> Iowa State, but they put up one more point than South Alabama did. On yeah, Oklahoma but, but State. hey, but but the kid threw for three touchdowns, three hundred forty-eight yards. Yes, against ostensibly the worst defense in the Power Five. But hey, like I, I mean, yeah. redshirt freshman, he 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 played well, and and that's he was a four-star recruit. I mean, this is a talented mm-hmm. kid. He's got NFL bloodlines. Um, you know, he he might he might be something for real. Um, we'll have to see what he does. You know, in this up and now that there's film on him too, like that's always yep. a big thing, right? But. Um, give the kid a ton of credit for for going out, and I think that was his first or second career start, and it looked great. So, like, I, I it, at least they're maybe giving them some hope for the future. But yeah, this year is is going to be a lost cause. Um, glad they got that one because uh, it's going to be hard for Iowa State to get too many more sitting at two and two right now. But with the just everything else is going to be a battle for them. And now that we've said that, TC is going to go up there. They play yep, at in Ames yep. at, at mm-hmm. seven o'clock at night. A night game in Ames is not something you ever want yep. to be a part of and so that's going to be yep. a hectic football game for sure now that we've laid yep, that, that we curse that. that's why i said i said really nice things about rocco back i did my part to allay the curse um and you sat there and shook your head and for the listening only audience i just want you guys to remember i came out complimentary and kind and if if <laughs> what's the word uh if i can't remember the word i'm looking for i've just it's been a long day but um just tons of praise just tons of praise for the young kid. And mm. Jamie goes, ah, he sucks. Like, I think that was I the didn't... exact quote. I'm pretty sure that's the exact quote. All um, right. All I, right. I think you said, Iowa State sucks. You hate Cyclone Larry. Um, <laughs> somewhere Levi Stevenson is rolling over in his uh, igloo. You know, Levi uh, is tuned. Levi, Levi gives us the five minutes so that it counts as a listen. And then he dips. You know that. That's also true. It's so you know true. That. I'm gonna I'm gonna text and be like, "Hey, we talk shit about you on the podcast, though, and give him whatever." And time don't tell him the time stamp. He has to yeah, listen so to the whole thing. So he's the whole thing. Yeah, perfect. Good. It's the like a lose lose. I do love Cyclone Larry. Yeah, like who doesn't? Black. I do too. He's the best. And and like like sad Cyclone Larry might be my favorite. They got Iowa State fans got up there. They got a little difficult. They got kind of like Kansas State fans and Baylor fans. They got a little unbearable on social media. They have quickly gone back to their place and they are a delight on Twitter once again. They have been humbled sufficiently. Yes. They've been humbled yes. sufficiently. Let's see. I don't even have any scores in front of me, but I know that Oklahoma and Cincinnati played a football game. I think Oklahoma yeah. won that like 20 to 6. Yeah, it was 20 to 6 at Cincinnati. God, um, I, I don't I don't know what to think of Oklahoma. Um, really good they, defense, suspicious offense. Yeah, Dylan Gabriel is is leading in nearly every major passing category right now for the Big Twelve. He's put up a ton mm-hmm. of yards, but he's done it against really bad teams. Um, Twenty to six at Cincinnati concerns me if I'm an Oklahoma fan for sure. Um, as much as twenty eight to eleven at home against SMU yeah. does, yeah. right? Like defense, thumbs up. You've done you've done your job. Offense, what's going on? Yeah, I think I saw somebody positing that uh, they might be the worst good team in the Power Five this year, and I think that was a pretty good assessment. Like, I do I, think they're, yeah. they've got some good pieces. Maybe. There's some talent, but uh, yeah, I don't. It's going to be interesting to see what happens to them in the Big Twelve mm-hmm. schedule. Uh, Texas went into Baylor thirty-eight to six in Waco. That Did exactly was, what they should have done yeah, and just beat yeah. the pulp out of a, of a hopeless, hopeless Baylor team. Yeah, we mentioned um, uh, Kansas and BYU, thirty-eight to twenty-seven in Lawrence. Um, nice late cover, late yeah, cover by Kansas, kicking a field goal for no reason when you're already up two possessions. What's going yeah. on there? Uh, Houston with a nice bounce back to to beat up Sam, a very bad Sam Houston State team, thirty-eight to seven. Donovan Smith had a really nice game, throwing the ball almost three hundred yards. Uh, and then a, a game that was really, really interesting until late uh, was Kansas State UCF. UCF is 
I don't think they're quite there yet in year one in the Power Five, but they're going to be the team that absolutely nobody wants to play in November. Did John Reese Plumley play in this he game? He did not. He did not. So, um, it, uh, was, it, it was it was McLean. I'm wondering, and, and you know, Chris Kleiman's doing this weird stuff again where it's like, hey, you have a quarterback that's really good, but you're going to insist on playing other dudes at quarterback as well. Yeah. It's like, just freaking roll with Will Howard. He well, won the Big 12 for you last year. He, so he was banged up. That's why he didn't play last week. He did take every snap at quarterback this week. Um, but they didn't really, but I think he's still hurt because DJ Giddens had 30 carries for 207 yards. You talk about a bell cow. That kid, he is he is certainly not, um, you know, just the absolute world breaker that his predecessor was. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he's going to be a problem for for teams. He's very, very good. I don't know how great UCF's rushing defense is, to be honest. But said they they really moved the ball. The Knights really moved the ball against the, that Kansas State defense that we thought was going to be really good um, with their backup quarterback. Uh, mm-hmm. Will Howard did not have a great game, but again, like he's, he's coming off of being a little bit banged up. So it's interesting to see how his health uh, impacts his season going forward. Um, but UCF is, they're a problem. I mean, they, they are going to play spoiler for a lot of teams. I have a feeling this year. And I think that they're going to, they're going to have that thing rolling and, and definitely be a team that can compete at a high level in this conference going forward. One of those teams, much like Kansas, that I'm just glad TCU's not playing yes. them this year. Yes, I am so glad we're not playing Kansas. First time in my life I've ever said that, but I am so glad TCU does not have to play Kansas. Um, I, I don't I don't think they're going to be an elite team this year, but again, just a team I absolutely want no part of. Uh, Jalen Daniels is really, really good, and if he stays mm-hmm. healthy, uh, you know, Kansas can certainly sky pass. I think you took the under on that. I was the only, because they were, they were five, uh, five and a half, I was believing five and a half or six and a half. I think they were five and a half because they weren't, it wasn't a bowl. Um, And I believe that they were going to get bowl eligible and they're already more than halfway there. And they've, they've looked Mm -hmm. pretty dang solid uh, in, in taking care of business here at the early part of the season. I'm going to go look because I don't remember here. Let's see. I pulled it up. Yeah, you're right. Five and a half. I took the under, you took the over. The Twitter poll took the, took the over as well. Let's see. What else did we say here? Um, You took the over for Oklahoma state. By the way, yeah, I, I know I, I'm aware, um, and I have a lot of regrets, JB. I and we have, both I have a took, lot of regrets. We both took seven and a half over for Texas Tech as well. Not yeah. looking great, Bob. No, and that's why I don't follow us for all of your podcast information. Be very, very questioning on whether you're going to follow us for any type of uh, sports betting advice. I, I don't, don't give any gambling sports. advice. I don't give any gambling advice. Yeah. I do. I do gamble on sports. I don't give any advice. I just yeah. tell you what I'm doing. You can make the choice listener. Yeah. I, me or not. I do but not at all. If you fought, if you tailed my picks this week for the 10 games, my picks of the week, you went seven and three. So there's that. That's all I'm saying. There's that. There's that. Ign- ignore the three and seven in week one. Yeah. We're, it balances out. You're still 10 and 10, 10 and 10. Let's go. Uh, You're splitting. Okay. Um, We're going to move on to some other things here in just a second. But first, I want to tell you guys about our good friends over at Homefield Apparel, the purveyor of some of the softest t-shirts and hoodies I have ever experienced in my life. You guys know how much I love my big sky hoodie. I wear it regardless of the temperature outside or inside. It is so comfortable. I have slept in it before and then woken up and just worn it the rest of the next day because I'm kind of just a gross person as well. Um, but it's uh, it's the hoodie that you never want to take off because it's just that comfortable. Um, if you want to participate in the purchasing of Homefield Apparel 
clothing because they are so comfortable and you've taken this as a ringing endorsement, go to homefieldapparel.com, plug in the code frogs and 15, and you will get 15% off of your first purchase and 10% off of all subsequent purchases. That's frogs, I N one five, and that'll get you 15% off of all the TCU gear at homefieldapparel.com. That is one bet. You do not need to hedge. Nope. You can just trust us on Homefield Apparel. Tail that bet all day. It it long. is college week at my school. And Ooh. on Friday, it, it's it's in the 70s to this perfect. Week. I think the bomber jacket might be coming out. Friday. Bomber jacket. Bomber ja- obviously the joggers aren't appropriate, but the TCU joggers <laughs> oh, so super comfortable as well. Yeah. yeah the bom- the bomber wrong. jackets make it its appearance Friday afternoon. I have a feeling. You'd love to it's, see it. It'd love to see it. You absolutely love to see it. Melissa. You know what else I love to see? What? The size of TCU's basketball team. So good. Sheer. Like you sent in the group chat, just a a statistic that blew my mind that I would love for you to share with the listeners. I sent it in the group chat. You're talking about the size. The height of the the basketball team? Yes, the height of the basketball team. Are you talking about my tweet? Was it your tweet? I can't remember anything that's happening in life right now. It was a tweet, but yes. Um, Let me pull it up. So I, they did team photos recently for men's and women's basketball and, and the hoops team posted theirs, men's team posted theirs today, uh, which is so fun to see Jamie Dixon with just a big grin on his face, holding yep. a basketball in the front row. Yep. Um, but if you look at this photo that TC basketball retweeted, and I, I quote tweeted it, Emmanuel Miller, who was one of the tallest players on the team last year, he's six foot seven power forward looks short. Yeah. In the back row. Now, I do think Micah PV has grown a little bit because I'm fairly certain he and Emmanuel were about the same height last year. He looks yeah. at least an inch taller. Micah's also got a solid two inches on Emmanuel with just the beautiful hair. This is true. This is the true. Gorgeous, but I think, like, hair. if we're talking about like where their noses line up, where their yeah, eye shoulders. lines are, their shoulders. I think I think Micah's got him beat at this point. So I went back and I looked last year, and on the roster, there were only three TCU players that were listed at six eight or taller. And it was Xavier Cork, Suleiman Dumbia, and Eddie Lampkin. Those were the three. And by the end of the season, one of those guys was gone, and now two of yeah. those guys are gone. They have six players right now listed at six eight or taller on the roster, and another three that are listed at six seven. And yes. so you've got Micah, who is now listed at six eight. You've got Chuck O'Bannon, who's listed at six eight. You've got true freshman power forward Isaiah Manning, yeah, who's six foot eight. You've got Xavier Cork, who's six foot nine. And then you've got Assam Mustafa, who's six ten, and you've got. Uh, Ernest Uday Jr., who's six eleven. This is and a he, very tall front court for TCU that is giving me so much they, to be excited about. These are like even Isaiah Manning. Like these are like these aren't just tall, spidly. Be- like I'm looking at this picture. These these boys are built. They're been tall. Hitting the weights. They're yeah, tall. They are tall and, and they are thick. They've been hitting the weight room. They look. They look. They look ready to wreck some fools. That's yeah, and like. and I got someone tweeted and they're like, yeah, but how many of those guys are going to play? And I was like, the only one that do- isn't going to get significant minutes is probably Manning because yeah. he's a true freshman. Yeah. And that doesn't include Jacoby Coles. Yeah. Right? It doesn't include Emmanuel Miller, who are both listed at 6'7". Tyler Lundblade also listed at 6'7". Yeah. Um, he was hitting shots the other day in practice, by the way. Went out to CC basketball practice for a little while. He was dropping dimes everywhere. Uh this is a basketball team that I think is going to be very fun and they're going to play 
So I didn't add this context to the tweet, but this is why this went into my brain and why I ended up tweeting it out. Jamie Dixon hangs his hat on his team's ability to rebound. And last year we saw a TCU basketball team that was surprisingly bad at rebounding. Like their numbers dropped pretty steeply from two seasons ago in the rebounding category, especially on the offensive glass. And now you've seen him in the portal go out and get multiple guys who are six, nine or taller. You're bringing back guys who uh, are, are also front court athletic wing guys bring back a power forward and Emmanuel Miller, who was your leading rebounder last year. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm very excited to, to see TCU basketball almost kind of get back to its roots in a way this season, because they're going to crash the glass so hard. Like you went out to a practice when you were in mm-hmm. town for the Colorado game, how hard these guys are getting after it yeah. on the boards, even in just in five on five and practice yeah, an, an inter squad. Uh, it, it's, and like I said, the, the combination of the size, the commitment to crash through the glass, the the pressure that Jamie Dixon puts on that, um, there, there's still some holes, right? Mm-hmm. There's still some skill holes with this group. But I think with, with the size and the energy level that these guys play with, um, they can make up for a lot of offensive issues, a lot of half-court issues by second, getting second-chance opportunities, second-chance points. And, you know, you, you texted me the other day about just how dominant um, Ernest Uday looked in the paint, um, mm-hmm. and, and we've we've been really really excited about what he's going to bring. Uh, if you've got a dude that can can crash the glass inside, that can make those second chance opportunities, hit those second chance shots, uh, you can make up for a lot of missed missed outside shots. And I think the shooting will be better this year. Um, probably still not to the level it needs to be for this to be a truly elite, you know, TCU basketball team, but. Uh, it's going to be tough. I mean, this, the Big 12 slate is going to be absolutely brutal this year. Uh, this conference is so deep and so good. Um, but I, I think TCU has the pieces to be enough of a problem in that conference that they should be able to earn themselves a, a, a great seed in the NCAA tournament. And maybe this is the year we finally get over that first round hump and, and get into the Sweet 16. I mean, they look like a tournament team. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they look like a sweet 16 team, like you said. So, so if, if some of those shots can fall and they can get the good guard play that they need, then this is a team where the sky really does feel like the limit. It does. And speaking of conference schedule, it is releasing on Tuesday. So by the time you're listening to this episode, you should be able to go on GoFrogs and see TCU's Big 12 conference schedule. Also, um, the Big 12 and the TCU using the Taylor Swift theme from Saturday just made me love this conference more to announce so the Big good. 12 schedule. It's just so, so good. I love, I love, I love you, Brett. Your mark, I do. Everything. It's Brett. Your mark's world. We're just living in it. Um, and you know, basketball's news doesn't stop with schedules and team photos and all that kind of stuff because the Frogs got their first commitment. For the 2024 class, um, with four-star small forward Micah Robinson committing to the Frogs on Saturday, about an hour before kickoff between TCU and SMU, Robinson is rated as the number 87 overall player by 24-7 sports. He is, I believe, the number six overall player in the state of Virginia uh, and is uh, a top uh, small forward in the rankings as well. This is a kid who had been to TCU multiple times. I've had I think four or five chances to talk to him at this point. Um, It was down to Virginia tech, 
Vanderbilt and LSU. And he was originally, Melissa, supposed to make his, his commitment announcement next weekend. Hmm. But he canceled his trip to LSU, which was supposed to be this weekend, and committed right. to TCU instead. So the, the Frogs did a phenomenal job recruiting him. He was a top priority for this class because he has everything that they love in an athletic wing defender. And, and so they've got a guy now who... He's about 6'6", 210, got an incredible wingspan, very good athlete uh, who they know can come in and fill a wing Micah PV kind of role where you know what you're getting defensively, especially on the perimeter. You've got a guy who with the ball in his hand, straight line dribble, can get to the rim and create for himself a little bit, a lot like Micah. Uh, the development aspect is still that jump shot, scoring away from the rim, that kind of stuff on offense. But he can run the court. He's an athletic defender. He's a great rebounder, scores around the rim. Uh, everything that TCU loves to have in that wing three three spot. And uh, this is a, a huge get for, for Jamie Dixon and for the coaching staff. Another, you know, a kid who's a Frisco native, but is at Oak Hill mm-hmm. Academy. So, you know, he's playing at the highest possible level for high school basketball right now. Oak Hill Academy obviously has a long and illustrious history of sending top talent to uh, both the collegiate basketball and uh, the NBA. And so this will be a kid that says has a lot of developing to do, but, um, you know, could be could be an early contributor for TCU, if not as a true freshman, then, then certainly in year two. And the frogs lose a lot after this season. Like it, it does feel kind of like the window is, this is the window, right? The, the, hmm. you've, you've kind of, we've kind of been in a, like a, like a four or five year window where you kind of had Des Bain and Mike miles. And, and now you've got all these seniors and all this vet, these veterans around um, you want to make a big jump this year, a big leap this year in order to recruit the kind of guys that can continue, make, make sure that this thing continues to roll. You do. And, and obviously the portal is still going to be a big factor. And I think that, uh, I think that what Jamie Dixon is going to do is hit the portal, especially for some more guards, some veteran leadership at the guard position. But, you know, when you've got young talent like Chase Posey, who I think is going to work yeah, his way into some so playing good. time. Yeah, I think you're I'm right. I'm really, uh, I, I was like, I, I was, said, so I was out impressed at, with him. I was so out of practice the other day and he looked phenomenal again. And I made eye contact with, with a member of TCU staff and he just kind of looked at me and nodded and smiled <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, I had a conversation with with another uh, assistant coach who was just like, this is a guy that I don't know how we're going to keep him off the court. Like, yeah. I, they're very excited about what Jace Posey offers as far as athletic ability. He's probably, and this is not an understatement, it's going to sound like an exaggeration and like I'm blowing smoke and I'm getting people hyped up and I'm hesitant to do that because of the week one of football and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Jace Posey is probably the best jumper i've ever seen hmm. like just his the springs that he has for legs are so wildly impressive for a guy his size like he can he can jump with with forwards and pull down rebounds and it's yeah. just his leaping ability sets him apart and beyond that i mean he's an incredible talent on the basketball court so i think that there's there's real possibility especially in that non-conference slate to see a lot of jace posey on the court they're going to give him some run and see what he can do to contribute to this team uh, so you, you've got a guy like him that you're trying to develop. Isaiah Manning's probably going to get some non-conference run as well as a true freshman. And then you've got some guys that are building blocks for the future, along with Micah Robinson, whoever else they add in this recruiting class. You go supplement with the portal like you have really, really well the last few years. I mean, Dixon has shown that he's very capable of getting top talent out of the portal. And uh, I, I think that this is 
a window that they can kind of just perpetually prop open by the level that they're recruiting high school talent at right now, plus supplementing in the portal. I think that, the, that this is a really fun run that TCU basketball is about to go on. Yeah. And, and after all that we've endured as TCU basketball fans, oh, isn't it nice? Do you remember, do you remember the Jim Christian years? Cause I do. I do. Um, I, I remember playing in that Fort Worth, like community, that yellow gym, um, playing Kansas. And that was pretty terrible. Yep. Um, I also got to experience the Billy Tubbs year. So I really feel like I've been through, like I saw TCU, you know, make the tournament mm-hmm. for the last time in 97, 98. Um, and uh, then got to see them make it back 25 years later. But now it's the first time where you look up and you just kind of expect TCU to be good every year. And that's yeah. really fun. It's a really nice place to be. It is. And there was another kid, too, that they're recruiting really hard who was on campus this weekend, uh, another 2024 kid. His name's David Punch, which is just an awesome name. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the best part is, is that TCU's got a puncher's chance to land him. Uh, yeah. Um, but so David uh, Punch, David Punch geez. was on campus. He's a 6'8". I hope your eight. kids woke up with that. Jeez. No, I hope not. He's like a 6'7", six, 6'8", six, power forward. Big kid. He was in town uh, taking in practice. He uh, went to the the Iron Skillet game, um, had a chance to catch up with him, and he's from Harker Heights, so like Colleen, outside of Austin area. He's about a two hour drive from Fort Worth. Um, he's a kid who's really interesting because pretty much the rest of his offers are up in the like East Coast Northeast, right? He's been on a visit to Penn State. He's been on a visit to NC State. He's going on visits to Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Virginia Commonwealth. He's got an offer from Xavier. Right. And so all of these other schools kind of out of state have paid him a lot of attention. He hasn't got quite as much attention from in-state. He does have a, a Texas Tech offer and, and a couple other in-state offers as well. But this is a kid who I think he's top. He's like, I think, number 107 in the class for 2024. He's, he's number five overall kid in the state of Texas um, who said to me multiple times throughout our conversation over the weekend that he really liked that TCU was close to home. In fact, I think I included in my write-up the quote that he said, um, which was, that's a that's really good. They're the only school that I'm looking at in state that's really good for them. Mm-hmm. Something along those lines. And so this is a kid who, you know, TCU really likes, um, who they're also, uh, you know, in, in really good with right now. I think uh, Punch said that he and Coach Tony Benford uh, talk pretty much every single day at this point. So another opportunity to add a four-star kid who by the time rankings are finished shaking out for the 2024 class might be another top 100 kid as well. Um, Not to mention you've had guys like Nick Cody, who's a top 40 recruit in the class on your campus multiple times. Houston's going to be hard to beat for him, but you know, Micah Robinson's a really good friend of his. So that, that plays in TCU's favor, right? They're, they're really good buddies. They've talked about uh, Micah Robinson told me they've talked about playing together in college if they both feel that the same school is the best fit for them. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there's an opportunity there to baby land Nick Cody, uh, Trent Perry, a guard combo guard from California has been on campus. It's probably down to TCU, Colorado, and either USC or Oregon for his services. Um, he's another guy that TCU is really high on that, that likes the coaching staff as well. This is going to be a really fun recruiting class to see come together for TCU because I think we're going to get a couple more high schoolers than TCU fans are used to seeing from a Jamie Dixon high school class, especially in the portal era. And, and I don't think that will be to the detriment of TCU going into the portal either, because like you mentioned, 
there are a lot of guys that are graduating after this yeah. year. Yeah, there'll definitely be room to add both freshmen and portal guys. Uh, this roster for, you know, what the third consecutive year is going to look a lot different <clears throat> a year from now too. So, um, but I, I have a ton of confidence in Jamie Dixon. He he understands how to play this new game of college basketball when it comes to roster building and, um, you know, assuming that things go the way we expect to this year, then then there'll be no reason to believe that they can't do it again. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Melissa, we have two no, no. sponsors to this show. We do. And we got to talk about the second. other one, Hell's Half Acre Sporting Goods. Our good friends over at Hell's Half Acre have some of the coolest TCU merch that you will ever see with your own two eyeballs or one eyeball if you've got a patch or something if you're a pirate. Um, I love okay. – I'm doing a sponsored read. Just roll with it. Okay. I uh, love the football polo that they dropped right before the season started. There's still time to get it if you haven't yet, and TCU has plenty of home games left for you to rep what I think is one of the coolest polos I've ever seen. If that's not your style, go for the baseball one because baseball practice kicks off in about a week. Ah. You're going to want to get ready early, get that baseball polo, plus snag some tailgating apparel, like tag – snag some home tailgating stuff right get all your home goods ready to rock with the right tcu logos the perfect tcu branding that you need to be ready for every game day whether it's football basketball baseball equestrian beach volleyball get those bags out play uh play some cornhole while you're tailgating for the beach volleyball matches this this spring right home home field or not (laughs) hell's half acre has you covered for everything that you need Jamie's playing hurt, guys. So we're, str- we're struggling. I and it's been a very had, long. We we are an hour and twenty minutes into this thing somehow. Back back spasming again. I had back spasms yeah. all day Sunday, which is why people didn't get a Monday morning quarterback from me today, uh, and why we're recording this podcast a day late. So yes, I'm I'm playing injured. I'm like Derek Carr out here right now. I'm missing yeah. passes left and right. Um, J- Jamie's getting old. Is what's happening? Also, I just realized that I had my running back notes in front of me this entire time. Okay. Yep. Shea right. Loa. BJ Catalan and Zach Evans all had one game of 20 plus carries. If you were curious about that. I was, I'm glad that you, you banned on that one. Demarcado and Sean Nixon both had zero. Zero. Yeah. Yeah. Um, zero oh. is about the, the time you have left. I Thank think you. on this earth. I mean, on this podcast, uh, <laughs> JB is he's he, guys. Just give him a hand, clap him on the back, uh, put a measure sports post together, thanking him for his service and his, in this difficult time um jamie's getting older by the day and he's almost catching up to me and so as he told me when he described his back pain i said this is just the beginning my friend it only goes downhill from here so yay i've still got enough energy to pull out all those old western virginia emails and tweet them out which Uh, i'm going to try and do every day this week i think i think we need to make the wednesday show just a best of western virginia i might just yeah i might in lieu of a mailbag i might just read western virginia emails for an hour I would love that. I would absolutely okay. love that. Um, I'll have a preview. Uh, talk to our friends over at the Smoking Musket. Um, one of the one of my favorite groups of uh, SB Nation folks over there. So we'll have a preview for you guys on Wednesday as we turn our attention to West Virginia. Uh, great win for the Horn Frogs, thirty four seventeen over SMU. Um, TCU is three and one, uh, and they head now into the meat of their conference schedule. Uh, start with West Virginia and a, a 7 p.m. Bl- uh, blackout game, all black uniforms for that one. Um, there have been some some classics between these two teams that mm-hmm. don't really hate each other, but tend to play really, really like chaotic football games nonetheless. Do you think Chandler Morris and Neil Brown are going to high five at some point? 
I don't see Neil. I don't know. Neil Brown probably doesn't know how to do a high five. I could see him going like for pens. <laughs> like he's kind of a dweeb, which is fine. But like but he's not a dweeb. The cool, he's a he's dweeb. Not the cool who Mike is, McDaniel dweeb either. He's a dweeb who has poured cold water on his hot chair, though. I will give him credit for that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see if TC can uh, heat that bad boy up again this weekend. Let's do it. All right, everybody. Until next time, go frogs. Go frogs.